This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au G'day everyone. I love Compassion Sunday. It's, it's in the calendar. Whatever series we're doing, we stop and we remember that God is intimately invested in those on the margins of society. I love that our calendar is set up to do this. And I have a very simple goal today for us to capture God's heart and vision for those that are marginalized, for those that are poor, for those that are imprisoned, for those that are impoverished. And as we do this, we're going to see in scripture that it's just everywhere. It just bleeds out that we are meant to be God's agents to bring the kingdom as it's meant to be on earth as it is in heaven. Now, sadly, I don't need to work too hard for you to notice that we're in a moment of deep injustice. If you listen close enough, I think you can hear creation groaning from its brokenness and injustice. I had a night last week and I was in bed looking at the images coming out of Afghanistan and I couldn't help but cry. You see images of people holding onto planes and falling because they're so desperate to escape death and persecution. Creation groans that things are not designed how they were meant to be. And I think even more so, there seems to be this sense of powerlessness. Like, what are we to do? What, where is our agency? I was speaking to a friend and he was saying the political moment that we find ourselves in. And he says, where's the church? Where is the church in all this? Where is the, the countercultural group that is meant to be marked by its love for neighbor and its heart for justice? And he just said, the church just seems so powerless, so powerless. Where's the alternate community marked by love and its love for enemies and justice? And this rattled me because... The early church, and you read this in Acts, they were famous for its hospitality for the poor and the suffering. And it begs the question, why is, why is the church so lukewarm to the things of this world where people are impoverished and persecuted and hurting? And I have this question for us, this very hard-hitting question, where are the people that are hungry for God's justice. Where are the people that are hungry for God's justice? We've become so numb and callous to the injustice and the marginalization of the other. I think that the church has actually lost its prophetic voice and its power. Historian Gary Ferngren noted that during the urban plagues in the early church, Christians characteristically didn't flee the cities but stayed and cared for the sick and dying of all groups, often at the cost of their own lives. We desperately, in this moment, we desperately need our hunger back for justice. And I think this is the need of the hour. I think many of us, it's in me as well, and many Christians, were so privately concerned about our behavior and our welfare, which can be a godly thing, We don't have a a care for anything that's beyond our breath and our horizon. It's just what's in front of us. And there's actually more happening in the world than what's in front of our eyes. 
And it's almost like the, the church is fighting with one arm behind its back. That we need a deep care. Of course, we need a deep care of our own personal holiness and morality. But we need a hunger for those that are beyond our reach and beyond our horizons. And so today, I couldn't think of a better time to examine scriptures to see, to see God's heart. To see God's heart for the foreigner, for the other, for the poor, for the imprisoned, for the persecuted. We've got a very simple sermon today, one point sermon. So how do we, how do we hunger for justice? It's one thing today. I want us to see ourselves as a foreigner. We see ourselves as the foreigner. And the reason God calls us to this kind of love is because that's the way that he has loved us. You see it all throughout scripture. And I think we often forget that our, what we were like before God saved us. I think we, we project ourselves into the story of salvation in many distorted ways that I know we were the insider group. We, we always belonged. And we read as if Jesus came to reaffirm our acceptance and belonging. But nothing could be further from the truth. I'm going to go in a few different spots here. But you see, Paul described our condition before Christ as outsiders. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, he says, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God. Separate, excluded, foreigners, hopeless. And in the story of redemption, we are the strangers. We are the outsiders. We are the other. And ever since our expulsion from Eden, the angels had barred the way back. We have wandered as strangers in the earth, seeking a place to belong. And it's from the beginning, though, God has sought to welcome us back. It's God in his perfect love who turns strangers into sons and those that are distant into daughters. It's a beautiful story of redemption. And for this reason, it's actually how we love the foreigner and the other. It's a central part of the Old Testament teachings. The Israelites were called to remember their own otherness, remembering their time in Egypt as foreigners and their wilderness wanderings as nomads. We've seen this all throughout Exodus. Exodus 22, it says, Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. How interesting. You see the logic, the action to not mistreat or oppress comes from understanding your own former state, your own former slavery in Egypt. Again, Leviticus 19, 33, 34. When the foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing amongst you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It's actually really beautiful logic and really powerful for us is as we understand our former state, that changes how we view and love the foreigner, the outsider. And this is one of my favorite parts of scripture. It was our Bible reading that considerations of the stranger wasn't just just to appear in thought, but it was actually to be in action. 
in love, in giving them margin and dignity and provision from God. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And here you get a glimpse into God's heart for the poor. But it's not just his heart. He has an abundant generosity. And not just leaving vineyards and harvest, but have a think. What are grapes on a vineyard left there to be made for? Let it be made for wine. So he's not just saying those that are impoverished, here's some extra food. He's no, here's some blessing. Here's some abundance. I want you to take this grape and have wine, have a sense of blessing and festival. It's actually a remarkable commandment. And you see God's heart in this. And the children of Israel were to overcome fear and prejudice and show love to the other, to the foreigner, because this is how their gracious and abundant God had treated them. Understanding leads to inclusion. Understanding our story and our identity leads to action and inclusion. And of course, you see this in the life of Jesus as well. Jesus's ministry was rescuing and loving and welcoming the foreigner, the stranger, the outsider. And he, he, he perfectly represented God's love on display. Jesus's posture was one of inclusion and embrace. He created a, a portal of heaven, welcoming those that have been pushed out and shunned. The New Testament scholar Joshua Jip writes beautifully, God's love is extended to his lost, broken, needy, and often stigmatized people. This divine hospitality comes to us in the person of Jesus, the divine host who extends God's hospitality to sinners and outcasts and strangers and thereby draws them and us into friendship with God. God's embrace of humanity into friendship with him is the ultimate form of welcoming the stranger. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful reminder, a powerful truth that we were the stranger and God's love and reach welcomed us in. And I think the scariest part of all of this is that scripture also implies that if we don't have pity, we don't have empathy, we don't have love for the other, for the foreigner, we actually haven't grasped salvation. 1 John 3, 17 says that if anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity in them, how can the love of God be in them? It's a confronting verse because it's essentially saying, if you see someone in need and you don't have pity, you don't have love, you don't have care, you don't have empathy, you, has, you haven't grasped the love of God. You haven't grasped, grasped how God loves you. We need, to, we need to recapture and reread Jesus' actions in the scriptures. That Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. He included and welcomed those that were turned away by the religious culture of the day. And he humanized, he gave dignity and worth to those that were dismissed as outsiders and extended the welcome of God. And unlike our culture's generosity, 
which is extended to only those that are like us and withhold from those that who differ, Jesus' generosity is scandalously unconditional. The more we grasp and let sink deep into our hearts that our identity is because God left the comfort of heaven and came down to us who were the outsider, the foreigner, the separate one, and he included us back in by his reckless love, will we become moved and get our appetite and our hunger back for those that are outsiders and foreigners in this world. Now, that's the one-point sermon. So how do we get our hunger back for justice? We remember that we were the outsiders in the story of salvation. So in closing, I have three responses for us to increase our appetite for justice. And the first one is examine our appetites. So when we've lost our hunger for something, we need to examine our appetites. And we need to take a moment to look, why aren't we hungry for the things that God cares about? Why aren't we hungry and our heart breaks for the things that break God's heart? I'm not sure if you've done this, but you're scrolling on your feed and you see you see a very heavy post. You see lives being lost and homes being destroyed by a hurricane. And you see a chaotic airport scene of mothers and children being separated. And sometimes the natural response is, it's too hectic, off I go. And man, how funny, how good is this little kid dancing on TikTok? That's pretty good. And you just, you naturally numb and you distract. And I think one way that we need to examine our appetite and we've lost our hunger for the things of God is that we're always nibbling at the cultural table. We're grazing on these things that aren't satiating us. I'm a chronic grazer. Those of you that have been at a wedding with me or an engagement party, I love a grazing table. I love cheese. I love hummus. I love anything pickly. I love those little pickled onions. Um, One of my friends, Alex, his engagement party, I spent a whole night at the grazing table, just grazing and chatting. I just, I need you to take away from me. And, And I do that because I just like not feeling hungry, just grazing, tasting, nibbling. Now, that's a funny image, but I actually think it's, it's a poignant one because that's often what can numb our true hunger for the things of God. This quote from John Piper that I found in preparing for this sermon rattled me. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality that we drink in every night. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. The endless nibbling at the table of the world, the endless distraction the endless feeling of the things this culture feeds us. And I want to ask you, what are you consuming? What are you turning to when faced with the injustice of this world? It's confronting. But one of the ways that we deal with this is to numb and distract and nibble and graze. And it's, it's numbing our affections and our hunger 
for the things of God and what he cares about. What we give our attention to is what we become. What we give our attention to is what we become. Examine your appetites. And if you're one of the people that have lost your heart for the, for the, for the foreigner, for the outsider, for those that have been persecuted, examine your appetites. Secondly, how can we increase our appetite for injustice? Pray. Pray. We're in the middle of a, a great campaign praying for the nations. And naturally, when we, when we don't numb or run from the things of this world, the pain and the injustice, we can feel helpless. We feel helpless and we feel angry. And scripture implores us to cry out, to pray to God. Instead of the constant grazing back at the table that for the things that won't satiate us, we need to cry out and pray to a God that hears, to a God that cares and heart breaks for injustice and a God that will act. I heard this beautiful line about prayer, that prayer is honesty with God. Prayer is honesty with God. And we can take our, our pain and our anger of the injustice of this world and he will listen. And prayer, it actually, it recovers our soul. It actually recovers our soul because we know and we sense that things in this world aren't how they're meant to be. And this moment needs for God's people to turn in hunger and desperation to God in prayer. And then we're in the middle of this prayer for the nations. And I implore you, please join with your GC, join with this church family to pray, to cry out and to not numb against the injustice of this world, but bring it to God and be honest with him. And lastly, a really simple and powerful way that we can respond to God's heart for the foreigner is sponsor a child, sponsor a child through compassion. God's heart for the foreigner can, can actually stir our appetites as we, as we are generous, as we partner with a child that is abandoned and without hope and we can give them a way out. Now, I love compassion. They have this beautiful and compelling vision to see children released from poverty in Jesus' name. What a great thing to partner with. What a great vision to see children released from poverty in Jesus' name. And for those that are skeptic, I was actually reading this very in interesting article this week. Uh, a university in Chicago did an independent research into the integrity and effectiveness of compassion and just came out with flying colors for its effectiveness in reaching the children and giving them access to education and a pathway out of their circumstance. And this model is it's biblical, it's child-focused, and it's church-based. And, and I also love that compassion, it's, even though it's distinctly Christian, they assist children and families living in poverty regardless of their beliefs or gender or background. So I just want to put all my weight behind compassion. I love what they do. If you, if you don't support and sponsor a compassion child, this is a simple but powerful way that you can respond to today's word. Anchor, we have a goal of reaching 25 kids sponsored today. And I think that's a very conservative mark. I think we can smash that. And I don't want you to do that just because I am asking you to do this. I want you to do this as a response as you see God's heart for the foreigner and you see how much 
he recklessly abandoned the comforts of heaven to reach down to us, to embrace us, to bring us back into friendship. And as we capture God's heart for the other, for the impoverished, for the foreigner, we can't help but respond in love and generosity. So in a moment, you're going to have some clear next steps. There's going to be a moment popping up on our digital feed. Click onto that. Take a moment this morning now to act and to sponsor a child. And so just quickly to repeat it. So what are the three ways that we can get our hunger and appetite back for injustice? Examine our appetites, pray and sponsor. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have a heart for the foreigner, that you have a heart for the outsider. It's in your character. It's in your nature that we were once away and separate and unable to help our circumstance, but you reached out and you reached out with embrace and generosity and reckless love to bring us back into your fold. And I pray this morning that you would capture our heart and our vision for our spiritual state and remind us of how loving and generous and reckless you were towards us. And Father, as a response that we would we would examine our appetites, why we've lost a, a hunger for the injustice of the things of this world. And Lord, that we would we would pray. We want to cry out to you that you are a God that hates injustice. You're a God that acts and you're a God that hears the cries of those that are persecuted. And we would ask that you would you would stir your people to respond in generosity right now. And we pray this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.